Welcome to this week's podcast from Reality Christian Fellowship. We pray this message will equip and inspire you to love God, love one another, and love our community. For more information or to find out what's happening at Reality, check out our website at realitychurch.org.au or check us out on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. So I get the honour of uh, sharing the word with you this morning. Um, we're uh, looking at um, the book of Matthew. We've been working through the book of Matthew. Who's been enjoying looking at Matthew? Yes. Donna enjoys the man, Matthew, but we're looking at the book, Matthew. And we're, and we're up to Matthew 19. If you want to put the all my complicated PowerPoint of one slide up today. <laughs> Progress. I normally don't have slides for those here. Uh, so we've been yeah, so we've been looking into the book of Matthew. Um, we're up to nineteen and we'll we'll keep flowing through it. Um, right up through to Easter this year, and it's been really special to to work through Matthew as a book. Um, instead of just taking a passage here or a chapter there, um, we can actually sort of journey through the book of Matthew. Um, it really just helps us see, um, you know, why Matthew was writing the way he wrote and who he was writing to and unpacks all these things that we don't really see when we just skim over or just look at certain parts. So it's been been really good uh, to go through it. We get to see the overarching story uh, that's in play. So in the first three chapters of Matthew, so I'm just giving you a quick recap. The first three chapters of Matthew, Matthew connects Jesus into the Old Testament story. So into the context there. So we, we learn that Jesus is the Messiah from the line of David um, we learn that Jesus is the new Moses, and we learn that, that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is God in flesh. Um, and we also learn as we, or, or that we, something we can see that is quite significant is that we can see that there are lots of Old Testament scripture references in the book of Matthew. There are a lot that refer back to previous prophets and, and writings um, foreshadowing. So it's always good to stop and look at and compare them and, and read those in the Old Testament context. So, um, so that's in the first three chapters. In chapters 4 to 7, uh, we have Jesus announcing the kingdom. So Jesus confronts evil. He restores God's reign and creates his new family. This is all done through the Sermon on the Mount. We all know and have read and and studied this before, but um, that is where Jesus is announcing this kingdom that is is to come and that is here and that he is inaugurating. In chapters 8 to 10, Jesus brings the kingdom into people's life. So in the previous chapters, he was announcing, it was announced about the kingdom, but now it is being outworked practically and um, uh, it's been outworked in people's life. There are nine specific stories in these chapters where, um, where Jesus shares of different encounters that they have with him. Um, so we, we see people are radically restored. We see uh, people 
demons cast out, people are healed, um, you know, the, the people come, you know, they're radically restored and touched. Um, and we also see that in these chapters that Jesus sends out the disciples so that it's a sending out. So it's, it's like the word that I got the other day of, with the water, with we fill the bucket, we fill our bucket with his presence and with his holy living water, it's it's to give out. It's not to to keep the water in the bucket to let it go stagnant and dry, but it's to pour out and to give to others and to make an impact in the lives of others. Uh, in chapters eleven to thirteen, people respond to Jesus in different ways. So some people speak positively of Jesus, some speak negative of Jesus, and some are very neutral. When it comes to, and so that unpacks that. Yeah, so we look at the people who accept Jesus and receive the kingdom and understand what sort of a heart a person needs to receive the kingdom of God, which is something that we're going to look at today a bit more. In chapters 14 to 20, there's discussions and expectations about the Messiah. The Pharisees are saying that Jesus is not the Messiah. And the disciples learn and understand that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. So we learn uh, in these chapters, we also learn about the upside-down kingdom and what the kingdom looks like and what Jesus was bringing. And that's where we're at today, Matthew 19. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to, to chapter 19, now, there's three main uh, teachings from Jesus in, in Matthew 19. Uh, there's discussion about divorce and marriage, and then Jesus blesses some children, and then, we talk, and then he talks about the rich young ruler. So let's start at 19. We're not going in depth with it. We're just going to see what the Lord unpacks and touches um, today because each one on their own really is their own message and their own and its own story, so we're only briefly um, talking about them. So Matthew 19, starting at verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say that the law, in the law that man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? They asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it is not what God had originally intended. I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. 
Jesus' disciples then said to him, If this is the case, it is better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some chose not to marry. For the sake of the kingdom of heaven, let anyone accept this who can. So here we have Jesus teaching about marriage and divorce and the importance of marriage and divorce. Now, it is so important when we read passages of Scripture that we, we just don't take this as the only passage. We need to look at all passages throughout the whole Bible that talks about marriage and divorce. Why do we need to do that? So that we can understand it more fully. So we can say, we can understand what Jesus was saying. Now, Jesus was unpacking marriage and divorce because there was some Pharisees that were trying to trick him into speaking bad about God and trying to prove that he's not really the Messiah. He's not really a special teacher. He, they were, they, so that was the context that Jesus was answering these questions. So that's not a, a relaxed question where I've come up to say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, what, what do you say about marriage and divorce? He hasn't responded in that way. He's responded in a way to elude away from the traps that they're trying to say. So it's important that we, that we read Scripture through this. We can't just cherry pick and take a bit and say, this is it. We have to look at what the Bible says from the start to the very end and understand everything in between, and really study and understand what God is saying. So to do this, if you want to look into marriage and divorce a bit more, and you thought, hey, I'd really like to look into that more, if you've got your notepad, you can look at Matthew 5, 31 and 32. You can look at Matthew 16, verse 18. You can look at Mark 10, 1 to 12. That is probably the biggest chunk of teaching is in Mark. And you can also look at 1 Corinthians 7. That should get you well on your way. So, so we have this. So, we, so Jesus talks about it. Um, divorce and he talks about marriage we understand now that we need to look at the whole story we can't just take a bit of it and say well this is exactly what it's saying because we'd be interpreting what Jesus is saying wrong so the the important part that I want to highlight here is that that when two come together they become one and when they become one they become one flesh with Jesus and what he, his intention is that they should not separate. That is this heart that what God has put together to cause to be one flesh with him, his desire and heart is that they remain. It's not the way the world works. There's hurts, there's unfaithfulness, there's lots of everything that, that can destroy marriage. But God's heart is that some be single and live for the Lord on fire, but that others, that if they marry, that they make that lifelong commitment 
together with their spouse for him. That is his intended purpose. All right, let's have a look at Matthew um, uh, 19 and verse 13. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. It was quite common in those days for parents to want a rabbi's blessing a rabbi's blessing for their child. And that's what these parents were doing. They were bringing them to Jesus for a blessing. Who wants Jesus' hand of blessing over their head? We all should. We all should. So there's three parts to this. So the children were brought to Jesus. The disciples rebuked the parents for bothering Jesus with these children and then Jesus flips it upside down and says this is the upside down kingdom here guys we need to actually become like children and have faith like these children to understand the things of God because you can't rationally understand things in your so-called maturity and self-knowledge you need to come to him and as a child And let him explain to you what the kingdom of God looks like. So so Jesus rebukes them and says, No, these children are precious. They aren't a bother. They are lovely. And And you see it throughout the Gospels. Jesus is bringing freedom to children, to women. It was a man-eat-man world in those times. But he was flipping it upside down to say that there is no one more important than anyone else. One of the most important, significant encounters I ever had with my Heavenly Father was when I was sitting in front of my fireplace at Moe South, staring at the flames become convicted and oppressed in my heart about souls and about salvations. I become overwhelmed. I come really stirred. It was like I was, I was like sort of interceding. It was really um, built up within me, this anguish. But as I was sitting there, my son... He came out, it was in the early hours of the morning. He came and he sat on my lap. And he snuggled into me. And I held him. And Father God said to me in that moment, This is what I want you to do. I want you to come like a little child. I want you to come and sit on my lap. Don't worry about the flames, hell, salvations. We'll we'll get to that. We'll sort that. But first, but first, come and sit with me. 
Come and sit on my lap. Changed my life. We can be so busy doing things for God that God gets pushed out of the equation. Make time to sit on daddy's lap. Being like a child or coming like a child is the opposite of what the world tells us and shows us. The world says you need to be independent. You need to have this, 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 this and this. You need to have this in order, that in order, not be relying on anyone. But God's kingdom is upside down. And he says you actually need me. You need to be needy. That's a a swear word, isn't it? Need. Imagine being needy. Imagine. When we are to be needy, we need him. We need each other to grow up into him. Jesus has a special place in his heart and in the kingdom of God for the downtrodden and the despised of the world. The tax collectors, the poor and women and children. With their simple faith, vulnerability, low lenses and humility, children are not only welcome in the kingdom but are special models of the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? With simple faith, vulnerability, low lenses, humility, children are not only welcome in the kingdom, but are special models of the kingdom. And we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, should emulate that. Amen? Who's feeling a little bit childlike now? Very childlike. Yeah, we rock it up there, guys. All right, let's pick it up in verse 16. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbors As yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, 
It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently. He looked at you intently this morning. He lifted your head. But he looked at them intently and he said, Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Then Peter said to him, We have given up everything to follow you. What shall we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you will have been my followers and will sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. It's the upside down kingdom, church. It's all about it. The rich young man, he embodies the anti-kingdom perspective and chooses wealth over Christ. He could not let go of what he had. We see Jesus showing us here again the importance of coming like a child. Children are generous. They're happy to share their sandwich most. They're happy to share their toys. If you looked at the rich man who had obeyed all these commands that Jesus listed off, you would look on the outside and you'd say, wow, he's doing a great job. He's doing the right things. He looks the way he should look. But Jesus puts his finger on a spot on his heart and says, oh, that's ugly. That's ugly. That's got hold of you. That's an idol. You need to give that to me and then we'll sort the rest out. You need to trust me and follow me. We all have ugly spots, church. If you don't think you have, you're fooling yourself. His mercies are new every day, but we're being transformed day by day into the image of him. We have not yet arrived, just in case you thought you might have. We have not yet arrived. Now, it's not just about money, because if you look at Luke, where Jesus encountered Zacchaeus, 
He was rich as well. But Jesus didn't tell him to get rid of his wealth and to come follow him. So it shows us that it's about the heart. That's what he cares about. Putting God first in our life is the most important thing we have to attain and aspire to. No other idols. Him first. God first. Jesus famous. He is the one. All of this is for him. The challenging point here is that Jesus is asking us to make a choice between denying ourselves and our riches and saying, what comes first? What comes first? Jesus shows us that becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ cannot be done through the works of the law. We can't just look a certain way or say the right things. It is all about the heart. Making God number one in our lives. The wealthy cannot buy their way into the kingdom of heaven. You can't pay penance. Naughty Catholic Church. I love you Catholic Church, but that was naughty. just doesn't work like that. And if we think about Luke's message that he shared last week about unforgiveness and about the debtors and how it was just a a ridiculous amount that we could never pay it back. It's the same with God. We could never amount or pay back everything that God, to, to pay for our debt. We can't do it on our own. Jesus is the only way to God. The only way. Jesus is the only way to God. The key is our motivation and priorities. Are they earthly or are they heavenly? Do we live for the glory of God or do we live for the glory of self? Do we strive for the things of the world Or do we strive for the things of God? It's these things that will determine your true destiny. If we could have the communion elements handed out, that would be fantastic. And as we do this, as we receive communion today, uh, in January we, we don't have communion messages so much. We, we, we try to have a shorter service. It's not really working for us. <laughs> Apologies. But as we, we're going to listen to a song as we take the communion elements. And I want you to take time to think about what God has spoken through me about him and what he's touched your heart this morning. I want you to think about, are there any idols in my life that I put before God? Communion is a great time to reflect and to think and to say, God, 
What is there in me that's not right? What is it that you're putting your finger on? It's a great time to say, forgive me because I've stuffed up. I can't do it on my own. I just pray that as you take communion, that that your hearts be open for what God wants to do, that your life would be transformed, that the power of the word of God penetrate your heart and it lead to transformation, that we not make the Bible say what we want it to say, but to actually preach what it says and try to understand it to the best that we can. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We pray it challenged and encouraged you to keep growing in your walk with God. For more information and to find out what's happening at Reality, check out our website, realitychurch.org.au or find us on Facebook.